before I introduce Lara, can I ask a, a little bit of a survey here? How many people in this room have done a tour of Melbourne, been on a, a tourist ride, a walk, um, an excursion, something in our own city? Okay, not that, oh, actually, not, it's not too bad. Because usually the answer is, oh, I don't do those things because I live in, in, in our own city. So today, Lara is the CEO of Destination Melbourne, which I've had a long relationship with, a wonderful organisation. We talk about the visitor economy and what it means to Melbourne and Victoria. Basically, it means tourism and what the tourism business means to our city. So to take us through why we should be doing all those tours ourselves and what it means for other people coming to Melbourne and why Melbourne is such a great city to visit, please welcome Lara Cavallo. Well, good afternoon, everybody, and thank you, Peter, for that introduction, and thank you, President, um, for, uh, for allowing me to be here today. And I'd like to really particularly thank Peter Lake, because um, Peter has been sending me... Sorry, is it too loud? OK. Is that better now? OK. <laughs> um, Peter has been sending me uh, various emails throughout the year to find a suitable date, and finally we landed on today. So thank you, Peter, for your persistence. Um, before I launch into my presentation, I just want to quickly outline my career in the tourism industry and also to outline who Destination Melbourne is. I've had the pleasure of working in the tourism industry for over 20 plus years and I've absolutely loved working um, in the tourism industry and being part of Melbourne's tourism journey. Um, I've been involved in marketing Melbourne and also been working towards its positive evolution. I've been leading Destination Melbourne for the past five and a half years and Destination Melbourne is Greater Melbourne's independent tourism organisation. So we're not funded um, by the government, we're totally independent. We have three key areas of our business. And one is leading key strategic visitor projects, empowering the industry with professional and um, industry development opportunities, and delivering innovative marketing campaigns and visitor publications to ensure that when people land in Melbourne, they know where to go um, and what to see. We also have a broad footprint across the visitor industry. So we work with all the key sectors, including accommodation, like the Sofitel Hotel, where we are, attractions, major events, retailers, tour and transport operators, and of course, also with local councils and state government. I've also worked at Tourism Victoria for a number of years, quite a number of years. And before then, many moons ago, I also did the PR and marketing um, for the World Congress Centre Melbourne, which was opened back in 1989. So I've had a long, solid career in tourism and business events. So today I will be sharing with you the importance of the visitor economy and the amazing evolution of Melbourne and its tourism industry over the 20 um, plus years. And as I look across the room, I can see that most of you will probably remember what it was, Melbourne was like back in the late 80s and early 90s. Sorry, I'm part of that as well. I'm old enough to remember. <laughs> um, so I invite you to cast your minds back to that time when um, there was only two gas and fuel buildings um, where the Federation Square is today. There was no Southgate. Um, so if you look down along the arrow, we didn't have a Southgate down there. Instead, it was the Allen's Confectionery Factory, and I remember that along South Bank. And then Melbourne Museum was also co-located with the State Library. It, didn't, it wasn't where it is today alongside um, the Royal Exhibition Buildings. 
And at that time, uh, Australia was going through it, a recession, actually the last recession we've had in this country. And Melbourne was particularly struggling because the State Bank of Victoria collapsed and we also had um, the Pyramid Building Society collapsing as well. And during that time, many major corporates decided to move out of Melbourne because it was no longer the city for doing big business. And they decided to resettle in Sydney. And of course, Victorians was also flocking up north to sunny Queensland as it promised a better lifestyle and of course, better weather. So Melbourne's reputation at that time certainly hit rock bottom. And even the renowned architectural commentator, Norman Day, called it an empty, useless city. And when Jerry um, Seinfeld, the US comedian, who's known for his witty commentary, when he came to Melbourne, he called it the anus of the world, which you can't get any lower than that. Um, so the city definitely reached a lowest point in its short history. Um, and, I mean, when you reflect just 100 years prior to that, Melbourne was known as being marvellous Melbourne. But at that point, it was being called bleak rust bucket Melbourne. And of course, at that point, Melbourne's tourism industry wasn't thriving. It was rated poorly compared to what Sydney had to offer, with Sydney's glorious harbour, its bridge, its opera house, and of course, its better weather. And Melbourne just didn't have the iconic attractions and experiences to pull in interstate or international visitors to a great extent. But thankfully, this doom and gloom period didn't last forever. Instead, key city and government leaders in the early 90s decided had the strategic foresight, passion and determination to turn Melbourne and its tourism industry completely around. So they embarked on a multifaceted redevelopment strategy, which included, number one, building major infrastructure projects, which would enhance the city's cultural, arts and sporting facilities. Two, securing major international events. So we didn't have iconic attractions, but it was decided that events would become our iconic attraction. And of course, we secured back then um, the Grand Prix, and South Australia still doesn't, hasn't forgiven us for that. And three, the City of Melbourne embarked on its brilliant postcode 3000 planning policy, encouraging Melbourne to live in the city, which was a great move. And that strategic move was the catalyst for um, our laneways to become revitalised. Um, they attracted creative cafes, bars, restaurants, boutiques, and independent galleries and artisans, which is what we're known for today. And then, in, um, I believe in 1991, the former Premier Joe Kerner established the Major Events Company and its charter was to build Melbourne's strong international major events calendar, which would attract interstate and international visitors. And that strategy is still at work today and we, it has firmly cemented Melbourne's reputation as being one of the best event cities in the world. In 1992, Tourism Victoria was established and it launched its successful jigsaw campaign, the world's longest running destination marketing campaign, which concluded in 2015, so it ran for 22 years. From the 1990s onwards, um, they, uh, the government started, sorry, there had been serious public and private investment, which had significantly contributed to having the right infrastructure and facilities in place to enable Melbourne to pursue greater opportunities. And when you, I've got a bit of a list to, to um, read out to you. And when you consider all these major developments that just came on board in the last 20 years, it's quite extraordinary. So um, Southgate and the South Bank pre Precinct was developed in 1992. Then Docklands development started in 96. 
We have the re reopening of the magnificent Regent Theatre. I think that was in 93. Melbourne Exhibition Centre was built in 96. The Crown Entertainment Complex uh, a year later in 97. Then the new Melbourne Museum um, was built in 2000. Federation Square in 2002. And then we also had the redevelopment of NGV International and the new NGV Australia Gallery. And then, of course, the MCG had been rebuilt, and then Amy Park, Mar Marvel Stadium, and I could go on and on, but um, yeah, there's a definitely long list of investment and infrastructure that has really contributed to Melbourne. And all this substantial work has contributed to the lifestyle we enjoy today, and of course to Melbourne winning the world's most livable city title for seven record um, years in a row. And we only lost this year by 0.7 of a point, which is the tiny margin when you think of it. So we're, we could be co-first winners with uh, Vienna on that, I think. Um, with the major events strategy and the new building projects in place, this became the launching pad for Melbourne's visitor industry to grow and become the vibrant and thriving industry that it is today, attracting solid numbers both from an international and interstate perspective. Um, because of time, I won't share all the data from all the different markets. I'll just focus on international. And I wanted to compare what the data was like back 20 years ago, but unfortunately that data was not available, so I've only got data back 10 years. So 10 years ago, in 2008, Melbourne attracted 1.4 million international visitors. And when you compare that today, we have attracted 2.8 international million sorry, 2.8 million international visitors, which is a 100% increase in 10 years, a very strong result. 10 years ago, our top markets were New Zealand, UK and the USA. Today, our number one visitor market is China. And in this year, 664,000 um, Chinese visitors have visited Melbourne and have contributed $3 billion to our economy. And China's expenditure value has been increased year on year by 23% for, for the past five years. And in fact, if you look at China, its share of expenditure is now more, uh, more than the next nine international markets combined, which is extraordinary. So China's right up here and all the other nine markets are much, at a much lower level. And we were just talking about the Chinese earlier, and the Chinese visitors are definitely big spenders. They have a strong gift culture, so it's not necessarily they buy all these things for themselves. They like to go back home with multiple gifts for their family and friends. And they like to, like to buy luxury goods and health products, especially. And my brother-in-law has a luxury retail business selling European um, leather products, and he consistently tells me, What's the Chinese data? We're getting more Chinese because his business is pretty much um, underpinned by the Chinese visitor. Um, and he always tells me they're his best customers, but they're also the toughest because they like to bargain. Um, and you can see that just here in the city. If you look down at Collins Street, all the, um, all the luxury stores, they heavily rely on the Chinese visitor. And there's always long queues. We are talking about that before. Um, with Gucci yesterday, Peter said that he walked past at 4 o'clock and there was a long queue of Chinese visitors who are usually young, lining up to buy luxury goods. And you see it at Chadston on any given day. There's always long queues there as well. Now, today's um, Melbourne's top five international visitor markets in terms of the number of overnight visitors that come to Melbourne are China, New Zealand, US, UK and India. 
However, and if, you, if we look just in terms of spend, the top five markets that spend the most in our economy are China's number one, and then India, then New Zealand, Malaysia, and UK. And the US is actually comes sixth, which is quite interesting because the US used to be quite good spenders as well. And India is definitely a strong growth market for Melbourne, one that we are watching and we want to be prepared for in coming years. Now, all of this tremendous international growth has been a combined effort of building airline capacity, developing immersive and quality visitor experiences, and of course, the innovative marketing efforts by Tourism Australia and Visit Victoria. The strategic development of our airline capacity has greatly contributed to, towards the growth of international visitation, especially from the China market. 20 years ago, we didn't have any direct airline services into Melbourne. Today, we have 12 that come from Tier 1 and Tier 2 cities across China, which has greatly contributed to this growth. And of course, Melbourne Airport and the state government are continuously pursuing more direct airlines because that just brings more visitors into our, into our city and into our state. Last year, I led a strategic project to, to develop Greater Melbourne's first citywide destination management visitor plan, which involved 24 local councils and three state government partners. And the purpose of this plan was to strategically outline recommendations on how to build the industry's capacity and capability to attract and service more visitors for the next 10 years. In developing that plan, we conducted comprehensive visitor research of the visiting friends and relatives market plus interstate and international visitors. We interviewed over 4,500 visitors in total, and that's the highest number of visitors being um, interviewed ever in Melbourne. I would now like to share some of the key insights of what international visitors think about Melbourne, um, just to, to give you an understanding of what they think what Melbourne is all about. So firstly, I'd like to share that they actually gave Melbourne a world-leading net promoter score of 9.8 out of 10, which is extremely high. So they, that tells us they're extremely satisfied with their visit here and they had the best time um, during their stay. 48% indicated that they have the intention to return um, but need significant reasons to warrant that return investment. As Melbourne is a long-haul destination from an international perspective, it, it requires a lot of um, investment to come to Melbourne. Key activities during their stay, um, number one is restaurants. 61.2% went to, obviously, dined at our lovely restaurants. Then came retail shopping at 52%. Visiting parks, gardens and zoos came in at 36%. And then galleries and exhibitions came at 30%. Then 20% of internationals said there was nothing to improve in Melbourne, which we found quite amazing. We thought we'd receive this long list of things that they thought we could do better, but we didn't really get a long list of things, um, which was quite disappointing in a way. Um, but 16% did say that we needed to improve the Mikey ticketing um, program, uh, which wasn't a surprise. We know that's something we need to improve. 70% spent their time in Inner Melbourne and they stayed approximately seven nights and 30% of them stayed in luxury accommodation. And prominent reasons to travel to Melbourne is that number one, it's an interesting destination. That came in at 53%. Um, at 40%, um, people have uh, stated that they've always wanted to visit Melbourne, so it was their first time. 
At 35%, people came for the purpose to visit friends and family. And then at 21% we, um, were repeat visitors. They actually really enjoyed their first time in Melbourne, but wanted to come back because they wanted to explore and see more. Then we also asked them what they thought about Melbourne's unique attributes. What is it about Melbourne that really stands out? And number one, um, which was really surprising, they stated that number one unique attribute for Melbourne was green spaces and gardens. And having been involved in the tourism industry for a long time, we've never seen that result ever. And I think what it, um, what it told us is that I suppose we take for granted the wonderful parks and gardens that we have throughout our city, but when we have um, visitors coming from um, Asia who might not have all that, that open green space that we're used to, it, it can be a real attractor um, for international visitors. They also said that they loved how the city is an easy, um, easy destination to walk and it's accessible via our tram network that it's a city of beautiful views and it has a great lifestyle and atmosphere. Overall, Melbourne is viewed to be pushing the boundaries in food, wine, events, festivals and experiences. And they really found our multicultural society really appealing. As we have over 180 um, varied cultures living in Melbourne, visitors enjoy the diverse mix of cuisines and precincts. So what does the future hold from a tourism perspective? Tourism is one of Australia's is becoming one of Australia's top five super sectors. It's growing year on year by eight percent, and its economic value to Melbourne is worth 15.7 billion dollars, and it employs a total of 120,000 people. We're expecting this growth to continue with new initiatives um, being realised just now or into the future. For example, on Sunday, Air Avalon Airport just launched its new international terminal. And today, AirAsiaX is starting its two daily services in and out from Kuala Lumpur directly to Avalon, which is, um, which is great. Melbourne Airport is also planning to build its third run runway and it's going through a major transformation of its terminals as well. And of course, where the visitor industry is really pleased that finally, after so many years of advocating or lobbying for this, that both the state and federal governments have decided to build and support the development of an airport rail link. Melbourne also has a really strong pipeline of hotels coming on board. Um, right now, we have a current supply of 35,000 rooms across Melbourne. By 2020, that will increase by 40%. Um, and it will be 49,000 rooms right across the city. You know, there's, and there's some serious luxury hotels that are coming on board, like the Ritz-Carlton, the W Hotel, and I think it will really make it a very competitive landscape for all the hoteliers, um, especially for the existing ones. They'll probably need to, to lift their game even further to, to um, attract um, guests to their hotels. So that, yeah, in two years, that's an extra 14,000 rooms. Um, so we're really quite well positioned to cater for increased visitation. However, the industry requires greater investment for the government to ensure we can consistently stimulate demand. We've got to market our city more, um, build our reputation further internationally and also within Australia. I mean, it's a highly competitive landscape. There's far more destinations um, competing in this space than ever before. And we also need to continuously invest in our experiences, services and facilities to ensure Melbourne and the visitor industry doesn't stagnate. 
And of course, it would be really remiss of me not to comment on the importance of the business events and the significant contribution to, that this sector brings to Melbourne on multiple levels. I know this group has been instrumental in assisting Karen Bolliger and the MCB team to pull together your recent bid for the Rotary International Convention 2023. I actually was working at the World Congress Centre Melbourne back in the, in the, the one that was held in 1990s, so I, re quite rem I remember that event. So I congratu congratulate you all on being selected as one of the two finalists buying against London. That's a great achievement in itself and I definitely wish you all the best with the announcement in January. I hope Melbourne claims that bid. Um, and of course, if your bid is successful, this convention, which will uh, attract 20,000 people, which will be Melbourne's biggest conference, um, will be you know, highly beneficial to the visitor industry. And it would also be a wonderful de de testament to how Melbournians can collaborate together, come together to provide the best visit possible. So in closing, I'd just like to re reiterate that we truly live in a marvellous city, um, which provides a deep and diverse range of experiences from food and wine, events, festivals, tours, all sorts of things that people can enjoy. And of course, Melbourne's story is, is a real testimony on how negative situations can be turned around when people strategically come together to collaborate for the greater good. And I'll, finally, I also want to say, I want to commend and thank uh, Rotary Melbourne for all your efforts and support towards helping the disadvantaged in our community. I had a look at your list of projects and I was really pleased to see how you do numerous projects to help the disadvantaged, like the homeless, and providing food and all those sorts of things. I think that's really key, because we do have quite a significant issue here with rough sleepers in our city. So uh, yeah, I commend you and thank you for working together to build a better world locally. So thank you for your time, and um, I'll open up the floor for questions. Is that right, Peter? Okay.